I want to I want to preach to you for just a moment, and I love how God, at least for me, I know we have ministers all throughout our building, and, and I know that y'all are awesome, and God talks to you verbally, and when you get ready to preach, He just writes the whole sermon on the wall of your bedroom, and you just write it down, and you're good. But for Brandon Buford, it doesn't work like that, and sometimes. You step into a service and you're just kind of saying, God, I'm on the right track. And then our worship team opens up their song uh, and says, come move. And it fits perfectly with what I would want to uh, bring to you. And God just kind of tapping you on the back of the head and say, see, I'm still in charge. Oh, that's funny. Right? That's how it works. But I believe that we need to understand that God is ready to do great things in our church. I'm not talking about a building right now. I'm talking about what God does in our church. This is not just a organization. This is not just the church. It's not just the building that we come. But there are lives that are being changed. There are miracles that are happening. There are hearts that are being redeemed and restored. And I'm going to preach a little bit about this. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 4. I, I uh, in my own Bible reading, uh, I am in the book of Exodus right now. And so if you uh, pay close attention to me preaching, you'll say, man, pastor spent a lot of time in Exodus. Yes, I have. Because that's what I've been reading, what I've been studying, that's what God's been talking to me about. But uh, Exodus chapter 4, the first couple of verses, Moses answered and said, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to The Lord said to him, what is in oh, yeah, your hand? He said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. How many of you have ever heard this story? I want to preach to you just a little bit. It's not a, not a title that's, that's my title. I didn't come up with it. There's probably each preacher here at some point may have preached something along it. But I want to ask you a simple question. What? Is in your hand. What's in your hand? Moses had that burning bush experience. One of the most incredible uh, presence and experiences of God that had happened up to that point since they had been <laughs> yeah. kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Moses walking there, the tending sheep to the backside oh, of the you? desert, coming across a land bush that was burning there and not consumed. Out of that, the Lord begins to speak. We have that call of Moses' life to go back to Egypt and and, and to be the deliverer, to set free the children of Israel that have been in bondage. You have that explanation that God says, I am that I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm Jehovah. I am that I am. And and it's, it's God sending Moses. Many times, though, in this sending of Moses, we tend to end at Exodus chapter 3, and we forget that it continues on in Exodus chapter 4. The Lord is speaking, and Moses has a lot of doubt that begins to flow through his mind. I mean, if I go back, okay, so, so yes, you told me who you are, but if I go back, they're going to... They really aren't going to believe that I've been in your presence. They're, they're not going to believe that you've spoken to me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to understand what is happening. The Lord says, well, what is in your hand? The staff that was in Moses' hand was not just a stick. I, after studying and, and, and seeing, and very, very, most likely, if I've read different commentators, the sticks, it wasn't just a random stick that they picked up in the, uh, you know, in, in, in their walking 
Uh, if you've got kids and you go take a hike and you go out, you know, every kid she has to have a stick. If you walk, you get them somewhere in the middle of the hike, they lose that stick and they find themselves another stick. And, uh, but this was not the staff that Moses had. Many times, the staff that they held is something that they would have carried that same staff almost all their life. Uh, there's some understanding that perhaps on, on many of the patriarch's staff, they would, when they're sitting out and just kind of hanging out by themselves, they would have perhaps recorded and whittled and carved things into their staff. Some have said it was almost like a journal. You can look at their staff and follow what God has done. It was his staff. It belonged to Moses. God says, what's in your head? He says, it's a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. I love the word of God because not only is the word of God true, not only is the word of God powerful, but the word of God is absolutely hilarious. Because it turns into a state. And the very next words are, Moses ran. If I ever get another one, and God, some of you can relate. Moses Ran from. The Lord said to Moses, Put out your hands. Catch it by the tail. I guess Moses got some, some gumption back and he reached in and he swooped in and grabbed that by the tail and it became a staff back in He said, Moses, take your hand and put it inside your clothes. Take it out. What he did, it was leprous. Life snow. He said, Put it back in your coat. He did. He pulled it out of his hole. There were signs that were happening. But I want you to look at verse That's 8. That's my Taurus. Verse 8, it says, and if they will not so believe you, God said, What's it called? if they won't listen to the first sign, oh, yeah. they may believe yeah. the latter sign. And if they won't believe yeah. even those two signs, if they won't listen to your voice, then you'll take yeah. some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you take from the Nile will become blood. <laughs> God begins to say, I'm going to show signs what so that they will believe. Those ten plagues that began to happen and are recorded, those ten plagues were so that they might believe. But I do like a little bit later after all the excuses. I can tell you that even when Moses said, I, you know, I'm, I'm slow of speech and tongue, I don't speak real well, God got aggravated. God said, fine, go call your, your brother Aaron and let Aaron come. But but in reality, it was God just kind of throwing up his hands and saying, fine, have it your way. It's not my plan. And Aaron became the spokesman, if you will, for what was going to happen. And later on, Aaron was such a good spokesman that he could turn all of Israel to worship a golden calf. God was trying to get a hold of Moses and say, I want to do something with you. But I do like the fact that in verse number 20 of Exodus chapter 4, that Moses took his wife and his sons, had them ride on a donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt. And now it says that Moses took the staff of God. Somewhere, Moses began to realize that God was going to do something great in his life and in his ministry and the call that God had. He goes back and he, he, he begins to do that. He, they throw the staff on the ground and turns into a snake. They pour the blood, the water out, it turns to blood. All of those plagues happen. Because from the very beginning of time, God has always linked signs and wonders to belief, faith, 
and obedience. So it was that in this time, for Moses and the Israelites, and even perhaps for the, 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 the Egyptians, the Lord was saying, I want there to be signs and wonders so that they would believe. But if you would allow me to skip ahead and get you into and get you into the New Testament, he flips the script. No longer are signs and wonders so they would believe, but instead he tells us signs and wonders follow them that believe. And so you begin to understand that in Mark chapter 16, towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, he looks at his people, he looks at his 12 disciples, and he says, these shot signs shall follow them that believe. He said, uh, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you don't believe, you'll be condemned. These signs shall follow, or these signs shall accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and it will not hurt them. If they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. These are not signs necessarily so you believe. They're signs that follow your belief. And then Mark ends it by writing this. Jesus, after he spoken to them, he goes and take, been taken up into heaven. And the Bible says in the last verse, Mark chapter 16, and so they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message with accompanying signs. Can I just tell you right now that Mark 16, in fact, every one of the ending of the Gospels, even into the book of Acts, is still applicable today. We are not living in a world where God's power has decreased. We're not living in a world where God has suddenly lost the ability to do what he wants to do. In fact, I'm remembering what he said when he looked at his disciples and he said, even greater signs than what I have done, you will do also. That was not just a promise to those 12 or 11 disciples that remained, but it was a promise to the church of the living God that there are signs and miracles and wonders that shall follow them that believe. There is something that will separate a church very quickly from churches around this globe, and that is when a church begins to believe when a church begins to grab a hold of the whole council and the whole word of God, there is something that will separate the congregation of the Lighthouse Church from many other churches. And that is if you believe and if you obey, there will be the miraculous. We so desperately, in 2020, we so desperately need the miraculous in our services. It's not enough for me just to come and be with you in service. It's not enough for me to come and worship the Almighty God in services. It's not enough for me to come and be moved with goosebumps with the emotion of a song or the emotion of a message. I am praying. I am fasting. I am believing that what I need more than anything is the miraculous sovereign move of a God who can. to wonder what's in our hand. Yeah. 
is what you begin to find. Moses, God used the ordinary. Just the staff that Moses had carried for probably much of his life. God used it. Once you get in the presence of God, once you have that, that life-changing experience, God says, I will give you everything you need. You won't have to search for anything. We have a, a, a ministers in training uh, class that we're doing here at Lighthouse. Some people that have identified and come to me and say, you know what, I'm feeling that call. They may not understand it all. They may not know exactly how it's all going to uh, play out, but there's a, uh, we call it the MIT. And you, you'll see them in various uh, uh, times. It's anywhere from some of our young people all the way up to even some of our adults that acknowledge the call of God. But last uh, Sunday or Sunday before, we had an MIT class, and I began to speak to them. And I've learned something in my life, and you'll find that I don't very often uh, uh, use it or speak this way. I don't talk a, a whole lot about the anointing of God. Because I'm kind of convinced that once you have Jesus living inside of you, you really don't need anything else. So I was talking to our MIT class, and, 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 and I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to identify. And, and if you have ever done this, I'm not making fun of you per se. But have you ever heard someone get up to sing and they say, oh, Lord, please anoint me while I sing? Or a preacher get up and say, Lord, I need the anointing while I preach. Can I tell you what normally that translates as? I didn't prepare and I'm not ready and I need you to do a miracle right now. <laughs> but I learned a long time ago that if the power of Almighty God is dwelling inside of you, yeah. you don't need anything else. You don't need a deeper anointing. You don't need a deeper move. You just need to let whatever is in your hand that God has given you in His Spirit begin to realize. I begin to hear the words of Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John walked to the temple and there was a lame man sitting there by the gate and he looked at them expecting to receive some money, expecting to receive a beggar's alms and somehow Peter, just not that far recently removed from the infilling of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, looks at him and says, I don't have any silver or gold. That's not in my hand. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And I just wonder when he reached down and grabbed the hand of that lame man. And suddenly his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went leaping and dancing in the temple. I wonder if Peter began to think. That's what he was saying in Mark 16. These signs shall follow them. That. We need the miraculous in our services. We need the signs and miracles and wonders. I want everyone that stands behind this pulpit when they preach, not just to preach a lecture, not just to preach a good historical message, but I am praying and I'm believing that every time someone preaches behind the pulpit of Lighthouse Church, that following that preaching are signs and wonders and miracles. I want the Lighthouse Church to be a Mark 16, 20 church that the Lord follows the preaching with his miracle. We need a move. The book of Acts, though, you find an interesting story that begins to play out. Book of Acts chapter 8. It's there that Philip, after Paul and 
and, and we call him Saul, after he had scattered the church through his persecution. It's interesting that as they scattered, it just, it did the exact opposite of what the enemy wanted to do. He thought they could shut the church down, but instead, as it scattered the church, it just basically caught more of the world on fire with the gospel. And so Philip was preaching in the city of Samaria. He's proclaiming the Christ and crowds in one accord are being, are being they're grabbing a hold of what Philip says. And the signs that follow. Unclean spirits, verse 7 says, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many. Those who were paralyzed and lame were healed. There was much joy in the city. But then in verse 9, you see the story. Because there was a man named Simon. He had been a magician practicing magic in the city. He had amazed the people of Samaria, probably even with fear. He said he was someone great. They paid attention. And they would... Would, would kind of call that he's he's a man who has power of God. He's called great. They he, he had amazed them with his magic, whatever he could do, whether it was sleight of hand, whether he just fooled them all, or whether there was a demonic uh, a power at work, perhaps that knew some same things they saw. Then Philip comes with the truth. All the eyes are off of Simon, they're on Philip. And they're seeing what is happening. In fact, it's so much that as Philip preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, as he preached about Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And the Bible says even Simon himself believed. He saw these signs and these great miracles performed, and Simon was amazed. Now, up to this point, only those in Samaria have been baptized. And Philip gets a hold of uh, Peter and John, and they come down to Samaria. And as they begin to preach, and they begin to lay their hands on those in Samaria, the Holy Ghost falls, and they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And Simon, who believes, Simon, who's been baptized, is watching what takes place. Simon goes to Peter and John, and he says, how much would it cost for me to purchase the power that you have? Now we we can make fun of Simon. We can call Simon a heretic. We can call Simon a sinner. But the Bible indicates that Simon believed. The Bible indicates that Simon was baptized. The difference was Simon had no obeyed. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. A little bit later it says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? There was an incomplete obedience in Simon's life. And Simon saw the miracles. And he wanted the miracles without fully obeying the word of God. So when he saw that, hey, I could perhaps lay my hands on someone and they received the Holy Ghost, how much would it Cost. In fact, he said in verse 19, Give me this power also that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter got aggravated. Peter began to preach to him. In fact, by the time Peter got done preaching, Simon was repenting and Simon was crying and Simon was saying, All right, I, 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 I went about that completely wrong. I'm repenting. I need to be saved. You can't abide a movement. We cannot. Now, I believe in the power of worship. I believe in the power of songs. And I believe there is an element of our worship that brings us into the presence of God. But listen to me. There is not 
a song that we can sing that will guarantee a move of God. There is not an element of a service that will guarantee a move of God. We are not here for the emotional. We are not here for just the goosebumps. And somehow that will translate into a move of God. No. If you will believe, if you will obey, if you will follow him, if you are filled with his spirit, he will look at you and say, what is in your Disciples, after that mount of transfiguration, where, where Jesus and some of his disciples are on top of the mountain, and there's a miraculous thing happening. But when they got back down off the mountain, there's this story that the Bible plays out where, where the disciples that remained could not cast out this child that was vexed with the devil. And Jesus kind of sighs and he heals that, that possessed or our, our oppressed young man. And he makes the statement he says, These things don't come. Except by prayer and fasting. But I would tell you that that, even in itself, is not just the key. The key to a move of God comes first by obedience. It comes through prayer. It comes through fasting. It comes through a relationship with God. You can't just expect to walk into a service on Sunday morning and say, God, I want to move. If you've not been walking with him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Can I just tell you why sometimes you can come to church and it seems like everybody else gets a touch and you don't? It's because you are missing this vital ingredient that it's not just Sunday morning that God moves. It's not just Sunday night that God moves. In fact, I would tell you that it is not this church building. It's not my preaching. It's not any of these things on this platform that guarantees a move of God. God wants to know what is in your hand. What do you have? Silver and gold have I none. Such as I have. What did he have? He had a relationship with God. He had a connection with God. He was having a, a time alone with God. And when it mattered most, there was a move of God. I so desire with all of my heart. I desire the Lighthouse to be a church that starts with the relationship with and it culminates with a move. Moves of God ought not just happen inside a church. There ought to be a move of God at your job. There ought to be a move of God at your college. There ought to be a move of God in your neighborhood. There ought to be a move of God at your school. There ought to be a move of God when you're shopping at Schnucks or Deerberg. There ought to be a move of God when you're just walking in the park or whether you're just having fun, whether you're playing around the golf. There needs to be a move of God. For the Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe. It does not say those signs shall show up in their church services. It does not say those signs shall come when they have a multi-day revival. And 
I'm hearing the words of, of Paul. It's not I, but Christ in me. It's nothing that I can do. I promise you, Moses can't look at that old hunk of dead wood and say there's something special about that dead stick. It had nothing to do with the stick. It had everything to do with the experience that Moses had with God. Moses couldn't say, it's what I've done. Moses had to say, it's who I've been with. Zerubbabel, recording the words, it's, and, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by his spirit, saith the Lord, we need a move. I'm convinced that here recently at the Lighthouse, I'm preaching to a congregation that is catching what the word of God is trying to put. It seems like every time we come together, there is a move of God. But I begin to hear moves of God happening in some of y'all's works. I'm hearing moves of God happening in P7 clubs. I'm hearing moves of God that are happening in just your one-on-one -on -one contact with this world. And I begin to realize we are walking right now within the book of Acts. This is not just the Lighthouse Church, but this is the church of the living God. And when the body of Christ begins to operate the way God intends, those signs, wonders, and miracles will follow them that believe. We're not buying. We're not manufacturing. And you sure can't fail. I need a I wish I had time to just go through everything that God's been doing in the city and the communities surrounding us. I wish I could start laying out what God is doing. And one day maybe he'll release me to do it. But can I just tell you, there is a move of God. But it's because it's because of relationship, because of prayer and fasting. I can preach. I can continue to speak. But what I desire more than that is the action. I, I told you, I've I, I read my mind. I, I, I'm watching a congregation that's reading your Bible. Every time I turn the page, I see the power of God. I told you, I'm reading the book of Acts. Every day, every month, I read through the, 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 the accounts there. It's the history of the church. Every time I turn the page and I see God at work in the book of Acts, somewhere as I turn the page, I say, God, I'm ready for the book of Acts and the right, right, right. It's just challenging you. Go start looking at all the miracles. I'll be honest. <laughs> I saw, and I know means weren't the gospel. I get that. But I saw a mean. It had a preacher on it who loves to talk about prosperity. Mean said, I'm prosperous. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm awesome. I'm this. I'm that. And had a picture of Paul and he said, I'm wretched. Come on now. Can I just tell you for a moment? Yes. The book of 
about prosperity. The book of Acts isn't about blessing ye per se. The book of Acts is am I connected and am I in relationship with God? And wherever you take me, wherever you use me, wherever you lead me, whatever you want me to say, even if it leads me to a jail, if it leads me to a martyr's cross, I'll do whatever it is because I need a move. I hear the urgency of the hour. I feel the impression of the hour. God, I think, begins to look at me. And he begins to look at you. And he asks you this. What's in your hand? I don't know how many times I can preach it and say it. God doesn't have a plan B. God doesn't have another option. And if I can put God in a human understanding, he's put all of his chips on you. He's gone full war on you. All of his glory and all of his power, he's invested in you. He's put everything he has in you. And this is what he requires. What do you have? Use it. Use it. I believe with all my heart that if God can use Moses, if God can move on Abraham, if God can use a David, a Daniel, a three Hebrew children, if God can use a Zerubbabel, if God can use an Ezra, if God can even use a Jonah, if God can use a Peter, a Paul, a James, a John, a Thaddeus, a Matthew, if he can use a Stephen, if he can use an Apollo, he desires to use you. Days, one day. I would assume a day. You've got to hear it when he says, I'm giving you all you give need. You. you don't need anything else. Capacity, information. Greater things than these okay. shall you do. He never designed the miraculous in the mood to come only by the preacher. He desired it to come by the child of God that's connected, by the child of God that hears the voice, by the child of God that says, hey, Philip, I know you're in a great revival, but I need you to take a run down into the desert. There's going to be one man in the back of a chariot. He's just simply reading the God, the truth, the gospel. He has no idea what he's reading, but Philip, if you'll just take on a journey, I'll lead you to a great revival. There's a Philip in the house. That God's put you in contact with someone that's just starting to read a word. Has no idea what the word says. 180. But he asks, what's in your hand? 180 guests. And I promise you there's a revival that's beginning to take place in this community and in these surrounding areas that's not going to be burned outside the walls of a church. It's not going to be burned inside the walls of a church. It's not going to be birthed by what I preach behind this pulpit. But that revival in a community, that revival in a business, that revival at a coffee shop is going to happen because of you. And you're going to begin to use what's in your hand. Use what God has given you. And you'll be able to preach. You'll be able to speak. Such as I am.